six. Can you believe that? If you've been with us this summer in this series, uh, this has been a great series. I think for many of you, as I've, I've been in conversation with you, and we've been talking about how God has come to us and wants us to win, and that He has done that. But we many times have the opposite view when it comes to religion or Christian symbols or even the things that Jesus has asked us to do. When we hear phrases like "the last will be first" and "the first shall be last," well. That doesn't sound like winning. <laughs> and, and so we want to um, unpack this and learn that it is really the opposite. And that, that because Jesus came, that we can win. And that is our position. And so we're going to continue that today. Uh, today, as I was uh, coming in, I, I biked over to the office, which is just, uh, you know, just right over here. And, and I passed this uh, motorcycle uh, motorcycle, guy on a motorcycle. He was getting ready to go out for a ride for the day. It was an amazing day uh, to do that and, and be on a bicycle. But here I am on a bike, and he's up there. But he's, he's got the full deal. Like, he's got the, the leather-type jacket. It wasn't black. It was different colors. And, like, he, you know, if you looked at him, and he was not with his motorcycle, but he were to walk down the street, you would look at him and be like, He's going to go ride his motorcycle, or he's a little crazy. You know, but, but, but in the context of standing there with a helmet in his hand, he had like this super cool gear. But like it, like in, in, and he would say, well, what, how did that specific you know, grouping of clothes and the, the leather and the, all that like come to be? Well, it's because when you ride a motorcycle, like you're, you're exposed and and so there, you know, as, as time has gone along, those who ride motorcycles are like, man, I need, like, clothing that does this. And you've got the helmet with the visor so all the bugs don't, like, go into your face. But then, you know, they've learned what clothes work better. And then, you know, that just becomes what you need. But then, you know, we're people of style. We like beauty. And so, you know, you, you make that look good. And it just evolves over time. And that begins to be what you wear if you ride a motorcycle. The same thing is true of a basketball team, right? So you don't run in jeans. I, actually, yesterday I was, I was, uh, I went for a walk and uh, was walking around a field where you know, there's a bunch of guys playing soccer. And I look and I see the ref and I just, I don't know why, but I cross the field. He's wearing jeans. And I was like, what? Like, you know how hot it's been. And I'm thinking like, that is not like, he, he learned. <laughs> like, by the end of that match, I can't imagine uh, how he felt. But I was like, man, I guess it's laundry day. And, but there are things that you wear that help you do what you do. And then you have, you need, you know, you know you need, each team needs to wear something different so they know who the teammates are. Uh, we went to a track meet uh, for uh, you know, a soccer game uh, for my, one of my kids in my kids' school. And they showed up to it. It was a championship game. And they both had, like, the same colors. I've never seen this. They didn't quite work out the, you know, the, you know, the, the team that's the white and team that's the dark jerseys, right? And so they had to stop the game and bring out what we call the pennies and just put, put these little overlay things on them so they could figure out who to pass to. So there are outfits that you wear. Like, if you are a fly fisherman, I like to fly fish. And so there are things that you wear. And it's like, why in the world does everybody have the same thing? And look, it's because over time, these are the tools that you need that help you accomplish what you are doing. And then we find ways to make it fashionable so you can spend tons of money on all these things. If you're into fashion and the devil is your boss, 
you're going to wear Prada. And whatever else is on trend or above trend or whatever it may be, and then you're going to bring my wife home the goodies that you get for free, <laughs> we hope. That's happened. We used to have a good friend, one of our members of our church when we first started. She worked in the fashion industry and always had handbags, and she loved Aaron for the giving of bags. It was, it was very kind of her. But anyway, but you, right, so in, in everything that you do, there is, it's not just playing the part, it's just what happens. If you're in the fashion, you're going to be fashionable. It's what, what it is about. So that relates to the series, like, what do Christ followers wear? I've asked this question in the past. Uh, I've heard it be, I've heard it be said cheesy, like, follow wear. And so they, Christians have literally tried to do this. And you could wear a Christian t-shirt that says some weird statement that turns people off. I don't know. Like, you know, like, um, you know, you can put bumper stickers on your car or you can wear jewelry or like what what would a Christ follower wear? Well, that's the fascinating thing that has nothing to do about the outside. For Christ followers, it's what you, you know, we talk about in scriptures, you clothe yourselves. Well, this series, we're talking about winning. We've been looking at what that is, and it's the characteristic of Christ. And so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at who Jesus is, and he came for us to win. He didn't give up his life for us and go to the cross and all of that just for us to settle for our life. No, he came for you to win. He came for us to engage and, and, and see this story continue. But his strategy for winning is what you know, stumps us many times. It isn't the strategy we usually choose because he understood that we don't fight against people. We fight for people. And it's hard for us to understand that many times because we're naturally prone to just go against one another and we love competition and all those different things. And so we have to look at that. But we don't think that his strategy is about winning many times because of that. But he's fighting for you. And so much of this series is about how you perceive God and how you think he thinks about you. His view of you and your view of him. And we need to be able to change that mindset. And so it's time to fight for what he came to make possible and time to start winning these battles of our heart, of who we are becoming. And I've, I've said this a couple of times, I'd love for you to picture the thing in your life where you, you long for God to come in, the, the things that create regrets that you wish you wouldn't keep doing, and these habits or these things that kind of are destroying you, and, and you long to walk away from this, the very thing that we want to invite Christ into to help you win. You need Him. So it's time to fight for what He came to make possible. And so we've been looking at Ephesians 6. Let me read Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12. It says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now, speaking of the devil, you know, we, we're talking about this. So, you know, there's, I mentioned the devil wears Prada. It's 
you know, where did this idea of the devil come from? Right? We get the term like, you know, so you all of some of you, many of you, be like, yeah, my boss is the devil, <laughs> but or whoever it may be. Uh, but, you know, I think there's a, if you're someone who's pursuing God, like we, we always hope that this is a safe place for you to come and ask your questions of God. And we've, uh, and so, you know, so in that pursuit, we, as Christ followers, we believe that there is a devil, that there, that, you know, the story is, you know, he is a fallen angel turned his back on God. And there's this enemy of God. And he's been trying to come against us. Throughout our existence, we believe in that. It's part of the creation story. Scriptures, God has told that to us, and he has allowed the devil to be there. And so you would say then, do you really believe that? Because it can feel like a myth. And, but if, if God exists, then this is also true as well. But one interesting question to ask is, where did this idea of the devil come from? It's fascinating because it goes back to our Christian story, our Judeo-Christian roots. In fact, our idea of love. If you pursue, where, where does that value come from? The idea that we should love one another, it's the same source, you, is, is where that came from. And so we believe in this. You say, you might, it, there are several things that Christians believe. You say, you believe that? Yeah, we it all starts with Christ for us. His death and his resurrection cemented that. Shows us that God exists and he's real. And so the first question that we always ask is, is did Jesus rise from the grave? That is your first question to pursue in, in following God. And so I just want to acknowledge that out loud. And so God has shown us that there is an evil one in the world coming against us. And that we have also our sinful nature. We have sinned and, and walked away from God, and that is fighting against us in our hearts. And so this is a real battle. And so God is showing us this. And so Paul brings this out. He says, you need God's armor. We're going to get into that in just a second. So you can stand firm. That is the winning position, not a defensive position. You are holding the ground that Jesus has given us. You stand firm. Against all the strategies of the devil, there's a strategy going on that he is fighting against you, trying to pull you off the hill. And so Paul continues, he says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Stand firm. He doesn't just call us, say, hey, do this, be courageous. No. He begins to walk us through how we engage this battle of our hearts and the things that want to destroy us. And he walks us through the armor of God, and I would say the characteristics of who Christ is. This is what we put on, what we wear. He continues, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. It's the character of Christ, who he is. He says, then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. The scripture has this winning mindset. Why? Because they saw Christ win. They saw him dead, 
They saw him rise from the grave and nothing, they knew nothing would stop that, even death. Stand your ground. And here's the armor, putting on the belt of truth. We're learning that we are obedient to Christ, that his truth is what leads our lives, not what we feel is good for us in the moment. That is what it means to be a Christ follower. And the truth holds everything together, just like a good belt, the belt of truth. And the body armor of God's righteousness, God's righteousness protects our hearts. The truth could be condemning, but we get God's righteousness, and that's what we stand upon. That's why you can get up, not because of you and your goodness, because our, as the scriptures say, our goodness is, is as filthy rags. No, but we, we put on Christ, his righteousness, and it protects our hearts. He's leading us in our character. We're learning to trust him. The body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared we have peace with God. Christ came to make peace with him. This is what we talked about last week. It's on our website. It's on our podcast if we review these things. But shoes give us traction. Like good cleats, we dig into the ground. Our peace with God gives you the foundation and traction. You don't have to worry about how he feels about you. He loves you. You have peace. So you'll be fully prepared. And he says, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith Stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Today, I want to talk about the helmet, the helmet of salvation. What's fascinating, this isn't a phrase that Paul made up. Like he would have, he wrote this in a Roman prison. He's talking about winning and he had been arrested. He was arrested many times for his faith and his belief in Christ. And the Roman government was trying to stamp out the Christian movement. And Paul eventually gave up his life for this. And many Christians did, hundreds or thousands of Christians did. And, and just like Jesus predicted, the church never failed and never stopped. Despite all of that, in fact, it grew. It was incredible. And Paul, writing from prison, was looking at a Roman guard. He would have seen them and just had this, this, this picture of this. And we have the helmet of salvation. But it's not because of that we have this given to us. We see the characteristics of Christ all throughout Scripture, including the Old Testament Scripture, which he would have been very well versed in. In Isaiah 59, 17, it says, He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Speaking about Christ, it's who he is. Isaiah eleven five says, he will, wear, he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. That's what we clothe ourselves with. He's given us his armor. And so, including the helmet of salvation, these are all the character traits of Christ. These are things that he's given you if you are a Christ follower and you believe in him. This is what we have. We are learning to stand upon that. We're learning to walk away from the guilt and shame that our enemy wants to pour on us. We're learning to put on 
Christ and instead, and it changes our relationship with him, that we learn to engage him in our weaknesses. We learn to engage him and invite him into the darkest places of our lives as he is not afraid of that. He doesn't condemn us any longer. He's given us his armor. It's not something you create or you do. It's who you are. It's who you become in Christ. He's given it to you. The same armor that has allowed him to win. The same thing that gave him the victory over death. Now it's hard to believe that sometimes because we still live in our sin and in our brokenness. If you're with us, when we talked about the belt of truth, the truth is, is that we are responsible for our decisions. And we want to blame God. That was, we talked about peace, peace last week. We want to blame God. We, we fail to blame our sin, the things that cause the destruction. And what we know and what we find is that Christ is there to fight for you. That he hates the brokenness as much as you do. And he came to defeat that. It's easy for us to feel defeated. For me, I'm going to share a, just a super brief story. This is a glass half empty version, okay? And then a glass half full version of my story, okay? So let's start with the glass half empty story. When I, I moved to New York City uh, over 15 years ago, I moved to New Jersey City over 15 years ago, and uh, not too long after being here, we had the 2008 financial crisis, and we watched a lot of our friends lose their jobs, and that eventually caught up to me. In the church that I was part of, based out of Manhattan, they closed their Jersey City location, and I lost my job. I had just signed a new lease three months before that, and uh, I had my first child. She was three months old at the time, and here I am in a terrible economy. I've lost my job. I'm a pastor with a pastor's resume. That's not very marketable uh, degree in the New York City area. There's not a lot of churches hiring. And the economy was already tough. And so I've been driving trucks and vans all over the city for the church. And so I found a job. It was a low-paying job, driving all over the city. Uh, we kept pursuing our story here. Uh, a couple years later, we, 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 by the way, during that time period, we had like a million babies. <laughs> and, and so uh, we have three children. For a while, being in Georgia City with three kids seemed like we had a million babies. It was amazing. Like, that's actually more common now. But um, anyway, we eventually became pregnant with our third child. And we were on a third floor walk up of a brownstone and uh, two really young kids. And my wife was pregnant and she's like, we can't do this. This is, this is just not a good situation. <laughs> and so we began to look for apartments and we couldn't find one. We had given up our lease thinking we would find one. And so we were in a predicament. She had rented the apartment and we had trouble. People didn't want to rent to kids. Our income wasn't super high at the time. And, and so... You know, that was a whole situation, and we had to 
we, we eventually found a temporary place the day that we moved out, and it, just, it was just not easy. We finally get an apartment. We actually moved back in the building we, were, we, we came from, and the ground floor, that was awesome, but then um, it flooded about three months later. My wife at the time was like eight, eight months pregnant. Uh, that's not very fun. We finally get settled through all of that. Um, one year later, another hurricane hit, and we lost everything. I had begun to pursue plans to start a church in Jersey City. All that ended. I just, you know, we were just surviving. Couldn't move into apartment for five months. Man, it's awful. <laughs> Class half empty. Yeah. You guys ready to go out for brunch right now? Okay, how about this? Let's do the glass half full. <laughs> He's like, please. The first job in the city that I had prepared me for long-term roots in the city. I got debt-free very quickly. I was able to save money, and my good planning prepared me for job loss. I was only out of work for like six weeks. I barely used even my money that I had saved. Uh, my new lease that I had right before I lost my job was cheaper. The utilities were, were super cheap. It set me up better financially to be in a lower-paying job. Hey, I had a baby. She's amazing. And it was awesome. And she, we had a great apartment to be in. I lost my job. I got time off. Some of you like, there is relief, honestly. <laughs> it's kind of fun. I had time to be with God. It was really hard for me to figure out what to do with time, but I had time. There was absolutely a relief in that. That was kind of fun. I found a job in an incredibly tough job market in New York City that sustained me for three years. And I have so many stories that came from that. It was awesome. We eventually lost our apartment, but it helped us to find faith in purpose and not in my things, in my surroundings. The loss of our things helps us find a greater identity in God and his calling for us, not what stuff or status said of us. And in those hard times, we became so close to our community and our neighbors as we walked through these events with them and those who had the same things happen to them. We were able to raise support and raise money and to give it away to those who needed it during those times because of our connections through all these churches. We found, because of that, greater stability in our city through the loss of apartment than we even had before. I learned that I could lose my job, lose everything, an apartment, and God would be faithful and that he would provide, and I can depend upon him in hard times. Two stories. Same story. <laughs> Every one of you have your story. The world around us can easily overwhelm death, tragedy, loss. It doesn't throw God off his plan. It's an opportunity for us to experience him. He does not promise that, he, that we'll have a world without pain. It's the exact opposite. He wants to walk through life with you. So there's four things about pain, why your helmet of salvation is critical. You need that stability to know that you are secure. So I want to quickly walk us through 
these four things. First one is this, is injustice, pain, and trouble can lead you to think that darkness and death have, over, have won. This is the first step. It's easy to begin to think that way. In moments like this, you can begin to think. You can, you, you, it's easy. I do it too. Like I had friends, when I was going through that, we had one friend that was like, do you think that God may be telling you that this is the way you're supposed to live? And I thought about that for a moment. This was a Christian that we are friends with, we really love. Maybe this isn't the hill to win on. And we, we were like, no, God has called us to this. We learned to engage him and to stand firm. I learned to pray. I learned to be detailed in my prayers. And when the second flood happened, I be, we, Aaron and I, we were like freed up. We just began to pray specifically for what we could see God doing in our neighborhood. And it changed how we viewed things. It was in that very moment that God was beginning to move the story of starting a church in Jersey City forward. But it can lead you to think that death and darkness have won. But that's the opposite of that. But we're not the only ones to feel that way. Jesus' followers went through the exact same emotion. When Christ was crucified, like everything came crashing down for them. Everything came crashing down for them. They were devastated. This was not what the Messiah, what they called him, the God, the God's son, that's not what would happen. Because death was it. You're done. You've died. This was one that had showed them what love really meant. What it meant to be alive. He controlled the seas. They saw him perform miracles. He rose people from the dead. That, that, that was a miracle that happened. It proved that he was the son of God. But here it is where he has died. He was the one who's going to make everything right again. But watched, they watched him bleed out, suffer, and die. And so they're thinking, this isn't right. The light was supposed to win. But here, evil is celebrating. They'd won. They were devastated. We feel that, right? This isn't right. But this isn't true. The second thing is the resurrection declared that never again would death and darkness destroy those who were his. Never again. Three days later, just like Jesus told them over and over again, by the way. He rose from the grave. He told them this would happen. Light came screaming through the darkness. This party that evil was, was, was celebrating, they're going crazy over, the party ended. The earth began to shake, the ground trembled, the party paused, and the gates of hell came flying open, and they looked upon the one that they had killed. And all of a sudden, the light comes screaming through the darkness. Jesus laid waste to that party and began to start a new one of his own. 
And let me tell you, God loves parties. They are constantly celebrating in heaven. It says it in Scripture. Jesus said it over and over again. You should throw a party every now and then because Jesus has started the ultimate party that will never end. He laid waste to the party of evil. And in that moment, he declared that never again would death and darkness destroy those who were his. Never again would death separate us from the love of God. Jesus became the gap, the thing that, that bridged the gap between us and God. And one of the reasons why we are angry at God is because we feel the, the gap between us because of our brokenness. Something had to make a way. Someone had to die. That's why Jesus is the only way to God. He is the only real truth. We need an actual truth that helps lead us towards justice. And so he came to take the justice that you deserve. Instead, gave us his righteousness instead. And darkness lost. Never again will we be separated from God's love. Death would no longer destroy us. And here's the thing. Death would serve us. We don't have to be afraid anymore. I am someone who is easily afraid. I forget. I get distracted and I get pulled off the hill. And this is so key. Death is still part of our lives. In God's plan, we still live and we are pursuing those we love and we still have our broken bodies. But because of what Christ has done, we don't have to be afraid of it anymore because it's lost for good. So then death serves you. That's key. And so the evil side of things, they know this. They've lost permanently. They know it, so they have to come to you and to me with lies. They have no real power, so they have to deceive us. And that's, that's important to recognize. And we, wanna, we need to always recenter ourselves on Christ, come back to him. And this is why you need him. It's why you should consider becoming a follower of Christ. Why are we baptized? We take the step of baptism because it's the first step of obedience that Christ has asked us to do. We begin by following and obeying him because we realize that he is the best thing that we can pursue, that he is the actual one leading us towards life. And the other things that we think will fill us are only deceptions. And maybe that's why you're here. You've come to the end of your, yourself. You've pursued other things that they don't really fill you. We've been deceived. So the resurrection declared that never again would death win, destroy those who are his children. And number three, because of the resurrection, death delivers us to the fullness we were created to be. Christ brought us back into the fullness of himself. We call it the fullness of Christ. And we can experience that now. He's called you to experience the fullness of life. 
And one day he will call us, and he's promised this, we are made to be eternal. His resurrection shows us we are made to be eternal. One day he will call us to himself, and we'll be fully made, made full in him one day. This is a beautiful promise. And so death then delivers you into the fullness you were created to be. It does not take from us. It serves us as it takes us to the Father. Death now has a master, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's why we celebrate him. And that's why we sing the words that we say. So for those who are in Christ, when death comes, and it will come to all of us, unless, unless Christ returns, which anyways, when it comes, it does not come to take from us. It comes to serve us. There's a peace that Christ's followers have. But because of what Christ has done, we can have that fullness now. It serves us. Number four, how are you saved? It is by faith that you are saved. It is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. This is not of yourselves, not something that you do. It is, a, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. This is so key for us to... It's easy for us to feel like, I've, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to get right in place to, to come to God? It's, you can never be good enough. If you're a first-time guest, we give away a free book each week called How Good is Good Enough. Like, how good is good? You can't earn it. And that's the beauty of this. It's a free gift. You can experience this victory. It doesn't matter who you are. God is inviting every single one of us to follow him. Not because of what you've done, but because of him. It is by faith. We declare him as our Lord and we follow. We receive the forgiveness of our sins. The court is adjourned. We follow him. You can experience this victory. There's no kill shot. Helmets are designed to protect the head. The shot, the blows, the sword to the head is fatal. There's no kill shot for those who are in Christ Jesus. The thing your enemy fears the most is for you to awaken to the reality of your salvation. That death serves you. You no longer have to fear it. They have to convince us of something different. They must convince us to hold on to this life like there is all that there is. And we experience that in your job where like we finally achieve this goal, we do this thing, and it's just on to the next thing, and it never ends because this is all we have. So we got to get as much of it as we can. And there are some things that we can enjoy that God has given us, and we do. We enjoy it, but it doesn't control us. It's not all that there is. 
And when we lose the things that we hold on to, we freak out because we think that's all that's there. They have to convince us of that so we can compromise and weaken our resolve and come off the hill or be overwhelmed by the sinful desires in your heart and the things that, that, that lead to regret. Those things don't have to win anymore. It doesn't mean that you're going to fully walk away from it. Christ one day will bring us into his fullness, but he's inviting us into this journey that those things don't ultimately win. In the moments where we're weak, it's where Ephesians 6 comes to us and says, stand firm, get up, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is. And we get up every single time. You are free. Faith is this tool for our lives that we trust Christ. Death serves you. You don't have to fear it. We can be can. We don't have to be consumed with what we gain here. We can trust God with our future. We have the helmet of salvation. It's what we lean upon in our darkest of moments when we're learning to pursue Christ and invite him in. And that's my invitation to you is where are you in this journey today? Christ follower, who to develop the habit of coming back to him, creating rhythms in your week where you soak in his beauty. To allow him to be part of that, and to, and part of that struggle. For those who are pursuing Christ, what does it mean to follow him? And invite you to be on that journey. Ask those questions. That's the first place we start. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Did he rise from the grave? If he didn't, then none of it matters. But if he did, everything does. Where are you as you follow Christ? Continue to take steps toward Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have defeated death in the grave and that we are secure. And I pray that, maybe this feels like a lot of information, that we would just continue to trust you and to, and, and, and to be on that journey towards freedom. And I pray that we would experience what it means to put to death our sinful nature and the things that want to destroy us and to put on the life that we have in you. I pray that we would seek you for your beauty because you are the greatest that we could pursue. I pray for peace in our hearts, that you would lead us in our anxieties. That you would lead us in our hurts pray that we would not walk away from you when we feel condemned, but we would learn that that's the very moment you want to engage with me. You are not afraid of those spaces. You came so that we wouldn't have to be condemned by it. I pray that we would experience that beauty. That we would begin to walk away from sin, not not out of a duty, but out of your love for us and the peace that we already have. Thank you and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.